The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, hello and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show, EDU edition for this week. So this week uh, we have on tap uh, the beginning, I think, of a new conversation um, with with Jim and I here that we're going to include you on, and it's, I'll call it a re-examination of our concept of the, the fund number, your purely discretionary pool of funds, the minimum dignity floor and secure income, and how all three of those kind of relate to one another. Um, Jim shared with me before today's show that there's been, as he was reviewing a slew of emails that he's gotten uh, over the past year or so, um, Regarding several elements, it became clear that people, there was a lot of uh, a lot of interest on how all of this kind of stuff fits together. And now we have a lot of new listeners uh, each year, and I think it's worthwhile for us to uh, kind of break things down and, and really get to the essence of how our approach to retirement planning differs from the, you know, we'll call it mainstream uh, financial planning. Not that we're... Uh, you know, completely off in left field. <laughs> I I like to think that you know what we're what we're doing is just kind of a nuanced version, uh, kind of combining things in a unique way and taking some uh, you know standard approaches to financial planning or retirement planning, but uh, putting our little twist on it. But um, that's what he's going to bring to us today, and I think he's going to start off. He's got a slew of kind of emails along this theme, and and there's an article, honestly, that. Uh, has come out recently that uh, prompted some of this as well. So I'll get Jim in here as soon as he's settled and ready in the uh, recording studio in the penthouse here. We're in the office today. And uh, yeah, if you're ready to go, Jim. I think I'm ready. Are. I think I've set them up, you, set the you, stage. You set the stage, set the stage. Excellent. Um, oftentimes, folks, I'm kind of excited about this series that we're going to be doing as EDUs. Um, it was that or my Ed Slot question test uh, on IRAs, which predominantly covers Secure Act 2. And since I haven't taken the test yet, 
I thought this would be the one we would lead with and not the Ed Slot one. But you can see where this is going after we finish this series of EDU shows, which I have no idea how many shows this is going to take because you'll see what's going to be unique about this whole series that Chris and I are going to do in a second. Uh, Once we do that, my intent is to uh, do that uh, IRA question and answer that we gave last time, Chris, when I take the Ed Slot test. And since I am officially one month late on taking my test, I'm getting my nasty grams from Ed. (laughs) So I have to get that test taken soon. And then I thought that was pretty cute when we did that last time. So that will most likely be the follow-up EDU show to this series. So what's this series all about and what's going to make this unique? Well, what had happened, folks, and this is how my brain works There is literally no script for what I'm trying to do. I've probably spent more quote-unquote prep time with Chris on this series than I've ever done. I think I've talked to you for maybe 10, 15 minutes, Chris, about what I'm trying to do. And I just kind of looked at him in my office just before we started recording with my sorrowful puppy dog eyes saying... I know what I want to say. I just don't know how to explain it to you. And I said, we, I don't work well with a script. Let's just shoot the blank together on the show. Did I not say something similar to that, Chris? Similar to that. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And that's what I intend to do folks, because my mind started thinking recently for a variety of reasons. First, I started reading an article from a gentleman named Alan Roth. He doesn't have the, the publicity or cachet of a uh, Michael Kitsis or, um, oh God, I'm so bad with names, Chris, uh, Jeff Levine, and um, give me some more names of talking heads in our industry. Wade File, who is going to be mm-hmm. involved in this. Mm-hmm. Um, what think is it Fink or Finky? I can't. I think it's Fink. Mm-hmm. Bill Fink. Fink mm-hmm. and Blanchett mm-hmm. and all of those people, talking heads. They can write and speak far better than yours truly ever will be able to. And I, I follow what they have to say. And recently I was reading an article by Alan Roth, who is actually an advisor based in Colorado, south, south of Denver. And Alan is, I don't know him, never met him. I have met Wade a few times, certainly not to the point where we are friends at all. He wouldn't recognize me next to a hole in the wall. I'll recognize him just because I've seen him so often speaking. But uh, on a professional level, I have ran across him a few times. Uh, I've never met uh, Mr. Roth at all. He definitely has a type A deep investment personality. The man is phenomenal on investing. I follow what he writes and, and his beliefs. Um, he And I don't want to speak for him, but he's a strong proponent, uh, at least my understanding of him, in passively managed investments. We may disagree. He doesn't know anything about me. So I do know based on some of his writings, I don't fully agree with how he approaches funding retirement, but that's what makes our, our, our industry, if you will, so wonderful. I often say, folks, financial planning, of which retirement planning is a subset of the, the greater topic, financial planning, it's 
part art, part science. There's the science part, as we often will say, you know, RMDs begin at age 73. That's kind of set in stone. That's like the quote-unquote science part. The art part is really where this whole series is going to go. What's the best way of projecting and funding and prepping for your retirement? Retirement is the decumulation. It's the spending of the wealth you created. What's the best way of doing it? And as someone who believes in bond ladders or bond ladders of tips almost exclusively, which Mr. Roth believes in a lot for a variety of reasons, or annuities, should you fund them with that? which Mr. Fow, Wade Fow, has lately been writing and opining a lot on the right approach? Is it the fun number approach that Chris and I take? Is it the safe withdrawal approach? Is it the God reels approach, which is from, isn't Geithner, isn't that his name, the gentleman who came up? I thought uh, thought it was Geithner, not Geithner. You're going to go by what I say? I'll (laughs) I'll go by what you say. Um, I am horrendous with names, folks. Just terrible. Although I will, I got to give myself a shout out here. I'm going to take a little station break here. Yesterday, Greg in the office, um, one of our juniors left uh, a while ago, and we've hired uh, two new planners who we'll be introducing to to everyone in the not too distant future. But Greg has kind of stepped in a bit of where Andrew was, and one of the things that we had to do was review a bunch of annuity cases. Uh, we call them. Legacy. These are from annuities that were purchased many, many, many years ago. Uh, honestly, when the firm was a lot different than what it is today. And I was going over with him the annuities and why we purchased them and what we want to do and what I want him to say to the clients. In defense of me, he just pulled a list of everyone. And I kid you not, folks, I went through that entire list. Out of the blue, I had no prep time. He didn't give me this names at all. We were on Zoom, and he's just walking through and showing it all to me. And I was nailing one after another after another because I can recognize the name. And I told him who the people are, what they're doing, what the annuity is, what we were trying to do with it. So he could take all these notes down and know where this particular annuity fit in. But I would not be able to remember those people's names if I met them on the street. So is there a recording that proves you nailed all these names? No, you're just going to have to believe me Uh, and Greg, who today pointed out to the whole group on our team meeting that, yes, Jim did do that. And I think his words were, I have never seen someone as brilliant and exceptional as you were, Jim. I think that's what he said. I certainly don't want to put words in Greg's mouth, but I think that was his exact words to the group folks. I must have stepped out of the meeting during that part. (laughs) And I know Greg is listening, and he's probably cringing right now, saying, that's not quite what I said, Jim. But anyways, folks, I am horrendous. Why does Greg's voice sound like uh, Monty Python? I'm not dead yet. (laughs) Is that what Greg sounds like in your mind? (laughs) No, but is that how I sounded? That's what I'm worried about. Did I sound like the, I'm not, that's not dead Fred, by the way. It sounded a little bit like that Was it? I'm not dead yet. Um, I remember that. That was from, and I didn't realize it, but that was the act. What was the the Broadway act on Monty Python that I saw? I saw it off Broadway. Um, 
which was Spamalot. 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 The very first scene, which made me, and I was so excited because I love that part of Monty Python and Search of the Holy Grail at the beginning when they're banging the, the, the cart and the, the bell and the cart's going through and people are throwing the dead on from the Black Plague. Um, in the playbill, it was called um, Not Dead Fred. Uh, so that that was the the scene in spam a lot not dead fred and, and if memory serves me correct it was the intro to our podcast when i came back from my stroke absence you had never that's tur- true that's yeah. true and i wanted morbid that. sense yeah. of humor i asked for that here. to be put on there that uh i asked chris not to share with anyone what had happened because we weren't quite sure what the outcome was going to be um and my first time back after my stroke, uh, we led in with that uh, little little snippet. All right. Anyways, t- talk about going down a damn rabbit hole there. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> but well, speaking of rabbits, there's that the rabbit from Monty Python too. If you want to go down a whole other <laughs> rabbit hole, you know well, the, the killer rabbit. The, the killer rabbit, <laughs> and I especially love now that we're going down this Monty Python thing. When they had to uh, throw the holy hand grenade, reading right. the instruction. Right. <laughs> Let's not do that. That's going to go on forever. It's a, uh, you gotta want, You can tell we're in our late 50s, early 60s, folks, because if you went to college in the 80s, you, you knew Monty Python and you knew Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, th- those were the two things that, that everyone in college back then did. Okay, anyways, I digress. So it's Geithner, apparently, or something. No, Geithner. You sure? It's just Geithner? Yes. All right, whatever. Uh, he yep. came up with the uh, God Reels approach. What is the proper approach to retirement planning? I started thinking of that because what had happened is I found an article written by Mr. Roth, who I admire. I never met him, but I do admire his writings, and I highly doubt he listens to me. But if he is, uh, Alan, I, I love your writing. I think you're, you're brilliant. And it gives me a lot to think of as an advisor. But he wrote an article that was really quite despairing against Wade Fowle. And it's not every day you see that. And the article came out on, on a professional website. So it, it, I think it's called Vetify now. It used to be called Advisor Perspectives, but I don't know what it goes under now. Um, Nonetheless, I read that article recently, and I had seen Allen's come out recently. I did not see the article that Wade came out with that prompted Allen to write a rather... Scathing. No, scathing is too harsh of a word, but it was a rather firm critique of Wade and pointing out that he disagrees with Wade. The most fascinating part wasn't that Alan disagreed. Wade wrote an article really espousing the value of using a fixed indexed annuity inside a retirement distribution portfolio. And he went so far as to say, um, well... I don't want to put words in Wade's mouth either, but that using a fixed index annuity, the general gist of it was, is preferable to using just stocks and bonds, is that the fixed index annuity is going to be a much better way to fund a retirement. Alan took offense to that. Alan is not an annuity fan at all. 
And he took offense to that, and he pointed out many, many reasons. The, the fascinating part was the comment section. There were 21 comments at the time that I read this article. The vast majority of them were between Alan and Wade back and forth. The very first comment was from Wade immediately addressing Alan's points. And the two of them just, they write and use words that I can't even pronounce. They clearly have communication skills that I could only hope for. If you're a long time listener to this podcast, you know, I have a passion for what I do. I believe strongly in what I do. I'm not the biggest master of the English language, uh, if you haven't noticed. And uh, you give me big words, I can't even pronounce them. These guys were really bopping back and forth. And they were not... They were being cordial. I think I worded it to you, Chris. It reminded me of two maybe medieval aristocrats arguing with each other, or better yet, the founding fathers, uh, as they were probably arguing the Constitution. You know how they spoke very eloquently. Uh, They didn't just sit across someone and say, you're a freaking jerk. But they would say it in like five paragraphs of this verbiose, pleasant-sounding thing. But if you whittled it down, it was like, you're a freaking jerk. That's kind of what it sounded like to me. They were just being very cordial with each other, but very firm. At the end of the diatribe between the two of them, and I forget who just stopped replying and there was no more replies anymore. I sat there thinking, Chris, I think they're both missing the boat. They both don't get it, or at least don't look at retirement the way Chris and I look at it. The argument was, what's the best way to fully fund or best way to strategize, I don't want to say fully fund, to strategize a withdrawal rate from a portfolio. Once you establish what your quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate is going to be, what's the best way to hopefully fund that or strategize to fund it. A bond ladder, specifically using tips, or a income annuity or partial income annuity, utilizing a fixed income annuity specifically. And as I read this argument back and forth, it was to the point, Chris, you would read one person's argument and I was like, yeah, 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 you're right. And then I would read the retort and I was like, Huh, yeah, 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 you're right. And it could clearly go back and forth. And at the end of it all, I thought to myself, this is like listening to a Republican and a Democrat just argue it out when both of them have a bit of truth to it. And maybe the answer is a little of both. But in my opinion, neither one of them, in this case, Alan or Wade, or in the case of Republican or Democrat, are truly looking at things outside of their biased lens. One of the things Alan Alan freely admits he likes bond ladders, freely admits that, and admits he doesn't like annuities or look favorably upon them. But he also rightly pointed out that Wade was paid for the research of that article by the insurance industry. Never came out and said it, but the implication was there, in my opinion, that the research is tainted. 
It's from the insurance industry, and you were paid a stipend by your own admission. And that does kind of taint the water a bit. And it makes me kind of sit back and think, okay, but how does this help the client? How does this help the client do what Chris rightly pointed out once on the podcast, and to me many, many times, of what he feels is one of the biggest issues of the safe withdrawal rate, which by default also means Monte Carlo probability statistic, because you're going to use a probability statistic to see how long that quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate adjusted for inflation could possibly last, putting in all these variables that nobody knows, such as how long am I going to live, how much inflation is going to be, what rate of return am I going to get. You could screw with a Monte Carlo calculation easily by changing any one of those numbers. But one of the things, and I'm going to hand this off to you, Chris, and hopefully you know where I'm going with it. One of the things that Chris often said to me is the biggest risk in retirement isn't just necessarily Living so long, you outlive your money. It's also what, Chris? Well, it's also constraining yourself too much early where you regret um, lost opportunity that you could have done more things that later in life you might realize you have ample assets. You're not really at risk of running out anymore. And, you know, you wished 20 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever the number is, that you had spent more to enjoy yourself in retirement that that is a risk that is not uh, addressed nearly as much. All the focus is on not running out, not running out, not running out, which is a legitimate thing to address. That that is totally legitimate, and some you know at the core of our approach to retirement, that's the first thing we look at: is how are we going to address longevity as it pertains specifically to the most critical expenses that people always want to fund, which we call your minimum dignity floor, food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare. How can we mitigate substantially, at least enough that people are comfortable, that they don't have to worry about longevity on those expenses? The um, So longevity is part of our approach as well. It's not that I'm dismissing the need to address it. It's more if that's all you focus on, it leads you to a conclusion of something similar to the safe withdrawal rate. What you know, it, it is simple. It's straightforward, easy to understand. You can take out X amount of your your uh, portfolio each year and adjust it for inflation. And that X amount is considered the safe withdrawal rate. I'm using X because there's no consensus as to what that safe withdrawal rate is. People, you know, bounce around the 4% term all the time. But that was really because the originator of this idea um, uh, kind of pitched that as, as the starting point. But he's even evolved over time what his opinion of the safe withdrawal rate is. And there's been other studies that have come up with different safe withdrawal rates. And then, uh, you know, that is a simple to implement approach to telling someone, hey, you know, this is how much you can spend from your portfolio each year in retirement. It is... It is once you establish what that is and you accept that that's, that's a correct uh, percentage of withdrawal rate, it's uh, easy to communicate to a client telling them what they could spend. But it doesn't address at all the very real risk of that being too constraining. And you ultimately will end up with a lot of assets at the end and regret 
not having spent more on yourself. That was a longer answer than you wanted. No, but. no, I think that's fine. That's that's exactly it. Now, none of the people whose names we mentioned are here to, to chat openly about this. And they very well may believe that, yes, we wouldn't just necessarily cover... Um, all our clients spending and restrict their spending early on fun, we we would help them come up with this pool that they can spend on fun. I don't know if either of those two gentlemen believe in it as well as everyone else whose names I mentioned on this podcast. My gut tells me no, because I have never seen anyone talk about it the way I see it. And again, if you go back and listen to the series we did, um, I, I can't remember when we even did it, but I shared some of the the uh, reasons why I questioned our the the industry's approach to retirement planning, and it's because I had that background in law enforcement, and and I used to always see quote unquote the other guy, the the person who uh, could suffer something just out of the blue, the the black swan tail event, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to give it. And I was the other guy with my stroke. That it always made me look at this approach to retirement planning with a jaundiced eye that restricting spending on fun early because you might, you might run out of money at your 80s or 90s just didn't make sense to me because I knew there was only a limited amount of time for you to want to spend on fun or for you to have the ability to spend on fun. So go back. Was that our fun number series that that I shared that? I think so. So about a year ago or so. Okay. So summer of 22. I, I can't remember at this point because we do so many different podcasts. Go back and listen to that, and it gives you a little background of how I came up with it and how I, I thought of the whole concept uh, of doing that. Okay, back to what got me thinking today, folks. As these two gentlemen were going back and forth, I sat there and I thought to myself, we need to start doing a series again. So I, I searched for all questions pertaining to annuity, because that was Wade Files' approach. And I searched for questions that had to do with bond ladders. And I searched for questions that had to do with fund number and minimum dignity floor. And I started coming up with a lot of questions that we had never addressed yet on the show. And I started looking through them. And these I actually printed. Chris saw the stack um, of stuff. And I thought, why don't we do this? Why don't we have an open dialogue session with our listeners? We're going to begin today by beginning with an article that, interesting enough, came to us in March of this year from a listener who I had never seen this article until he sent it to me. And it has to do with people not spending enough in retirement. So we're going to chat today a little bit about this article. But my hope is to not say I'm taking Alan's side or Wade's side in this discussion, that only a bond ladder and only tips on top of that is the way to fund retirement spending. And I'm not taking the new research from Wade that says you should include a fixed indexed annuity 
in your distribution portfolio. And I tend to side a little bit with Alan on this. I'm not a huge fan of fixed indexed annuities with withdrawal benefits. I'm not against them. I have used them in certain situations, but I'm not a huge fan of it. And even in one of Wade's replies to Alan in this bopping back and forth, Wade even said he just literally ran a quote and found that a SPIA would provide more income to the fixed indexed annuity, and maybe the person should consider a SPIA and not a fixed indexed annuity. I don't want to get into that discussion. The discussion isn't how you want to fund your uh, cash flows. There, that's the art, not the science. It's not settled science. Is it an annuity? Is it a bond ladder? Is it a mixture of the two, perhaps? Is it just a safe withdrawal rate and one big lump sum portfolio? Is it the fund number approach where you see through your portfolio, position assets, and invest your assets based on the positions of the spending they're being earmarked for or the risk capacity? That's our approach. You can kind of see I tend to favor our approach. But I want to get the dialogue flowing on the fund number. This was totally missed. In everything these two very intelligent people were saying, why does the industry, Chris, and I'm being rhetorical, but why does the industry limit people early in retirement to a quote-unquote essential salary? Why? You have all this savings. We all know a couple of things. Wasn't it the guy with the glasses? Ben Franklin. Thank you. Jack can read his mind. You could. That's, that's amazing. Where was I going to go with it then, Mr. Smarty Pants? There's, uh, oh, don't even tell me you can guess where I was going with the, that. Uh, the only thing for sure in life is death and taxes. Oh, my God. Wow, you do know me very well. That's where I was going with this. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't think of uh, Ben Franklin's name. I just saw his, his glasses. We know a few things in life. Death and taxes. We know there's going to be taxes. That's why any, any do-it-yourselfer, and if you're working with an advisor, any advisor working with you on retirement, you've got to be doing retirement tax planning. We're not getting into that on on this series of podcasts. But that's why in our firm, we brought it all in-house. We have CPAs uh, working with us. We used to have enrolled agents working with us. We now have CPAs working with us. We have short-term tax projection software, long-term tax projection software, our forward-looking retirement planning software, and we look for tax planning opportunities. That's a given. So Ben Franklin was right. Taxes. Taxes cannot be avoided fully. They can be managed. And you can give your uncle as little as possible. And that's the aim. And that is true. But death. Franklin is right. We know we're going to die. But the point is, folks, few of us really wake up one morning dead. Uh, that, there we go. Something stupid to say. <laughs> that's a... <laughs> That's a Yogi Yogi Berra right there. (laughs) That is a Yogi. There, we got a Jimmy Berra right there. You don't wake up dead. I like that one now, actually. 
I, I like that. I, I want that on my gravestone. <laughs> you don't just wake up dead. <laughs> you don't just wake up dead someday. What I meant to say, folks, is few of us die that quickly. I don't mean we wake up dead. Oh, maybe if there truly is an afterlife, we do wake up dead. <laughs> yeah, that's classic. Right <laughs> Thank you. Few of us die unexpectedly. It can happen, but it doesn't happen to all of us. More likely than not, you're going to age into it, not age into death, but you're just going to age through your retirement. Hence the go-go, slow-go, no-go, which we fully concede we borrowed from a different Stein. Michael Stein, I believe, was his Mm -hmm. name. Um, From the 1970s, we borrowed his verbiage, but we didn't apply it to all retirement in general as he did. We feel minimum dignity floor expenses of food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care, those expenses should be the ones and only the ones that should be covered with lifetime guaranteed secure income. Now, your definition of lifetime guaranteed secure income may be different than ours, and we'll get into it over this series that we're going to do. But fun, fun needs to be separated out because food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care, those things we call the minimum dignity floor, they should be covered with guaranteed uh, income for the rest of your life, however you define guaranteed income. And the money needed to fund those expenses and whatever strategy you're going to do to account for inflation, those dollars, the money for the reserve and the money to help hopefully keep pace with inflation, those dollars are subtracted out of the discussion of spending on fun, and those should be covered. Whether you want Mr. Roth's approach to a bond lattice, preferably tips, or Wade's approach of a withdrawal rate, protecting some of the withdrawal rate with a fixed indexed annuity. Or other annuity. I don't want just FIAs because I'm not a huge fan of withdrawal benefits on FIAs. I'm not against them. And there's actually one FIA right now with a withdrawal benefit, which is going to come to news as Chris, because I haven't even told the firm yet this, that I'm closely looking at because their initial withdrawal rates are very close to what a SPIA pays. I'm intrigued by this, and I may talk more about it on another show. Instead... I want to turn this into an open dialogue with listeners who we're going to encourage to send us emails, not questions, thoughts. And I'll read some of them on the podcast. My thoughts are both these very intelligent people never addressed, and maybe they do in private practice, but I haven't read where they address and say, hey, limiting a client to a small amount of payment early in retirement because they might live into their 90s or beyond, and we have to save that money, I think is as big as a failure as not planning properly and clients run out of money. And maybe there's only a subset of clients who can take that approach, or excuse me, 
podcast listeners, not clients, podcast listeners who can take that approach, Chris, or people in general, not everyone is blessed with having enough money to be able to do these calculations. And maybe a more generalized approach to retirement is appropriate. But most people who work with advisors, most people who these two very intelligent people were talking about, aren't going to fall into that category. They are going to die with money. And the chances of them running out are far less than the average Americans, unfortunately, because few people in this country pay attention to retirement. But if you, until it's too late. But if you're listening to this podcast series that we're about to do, or if you listen to this podcast in general, you probably have enough money to retire on. And the issue isn't, I'm going to outlive my money. There's always a risk for some of you, even at 2 million, 1.7 million is what I hear now is the minimum people should have for retirement. I, I don't know. Not everyone needs that. We talk all, all the time, folks. There's one retiree we won't name, longtime client of mine, lives pretty much on social security and a couple hundred thousand of savings and live in the time of his life. And that's because his lifestyle never exceeded what his savings could support. So it doesn't mean you need hundreds of thousands or or millions to live a comfortable retirement. Don't get me wrong. Now, he also has accepted Medicaid is his answer to long-term care. And he has to resolve himself to a Medicaid bed if they need it. But that's a fact of of what he, he has amassed. But his actual lifestyle while he's alive and not needing Medicaid is well funded with his modest, very modest savings in Social Security. So we can there are people in that category but for most of you i don't necessarily think outliving your money is the risk it's there but i think the the bigger risk for many of you is not spending enough on fun while you can and i think the industry is dropping the boat on that and they're dropping not the paying ball. it to <clears throat> Well, I let it go the first time last week. It's dropping the ball, not dropping the boat. Missing the boat. Miss and dropping the ball. But you can miss a ball. You can miss the boat too if you're on a, a right. waiting you, for a you cruise can miss ship. The boat. That is definitely what the saying. Dropping the ball. Last week you said it dropping the boat as well. And I, I let it slide, but I can't do it twice. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, if you wake so. up dead one morning, you probably <laughs> yeah. dropped right. the boat on yourself. Yeah. Okay, so back to where I was trying to go with this totally unscripted tirade that that I'm doing. What we want to do and what I want to do is start with this article on why, you'll see in a minute when I read the first sentence, and I read the first sentence to Chris, and he's like, yeah, that's the article that can lead into this. You'll see in a minute. And I want to turn this into a dialogue of our listeners, of your thoughts, Many of you are Vanguard, VGs, you got your Excel spreadsheets, you're probably as brilliant as Mr. Roth is on investing and writing Excel spreadsheets, and as brilliant as Wade Fow is on analytical minds. I know you're all out there and listening. What are your thoughts on all this? Is it a importance Or do you think the industry, I'm talking the industry as a whole, not Wade, not Roth. I'm not going down there. They're both right. Is the industry missing the boat? 
on not paying more attention, maybe not for everyone, but for a lot of Americans who did succeed in life, who aren't embarrassed to say, hey, yeah, I did succeed. I did apply myself. I did amass several million of wealth. For those people and for people like my other client, he's a client of ours. He did a retirement analysis. He just, he has, I don't want to say how much in case he's listening, but they have several hundred thousand dollars and social security and they're living perfectly happy. And they used some of what we gave them to do their own kind of fun spending early in their retirement to say, hey, we don't have much, but what little we have, we're going to have some fun with it. That's what we term the fun number approach to retirement planning that, that I came up with. So we want to talk a little bit about that. And please share your thoughts, too, on how you personally are going to go about funding your spending. Are you choosing to use just bond ladders? Are you going to choose, I know, the four-letter word for you do-it-yourselfers, some annuities? Are you looking at the safe withdrawal rate? Are you still kind of thinking that's the way to go? What do you think of some of the stuff Chris and I are sharing? I kind of want this to be a dialogue. We're not live anymore with that Zencast, not Zencast, whatever gizmo thing that Chris had that we could actually take calls. But you can fire us off some emails. We'll share a couple of brief thoughts. Please don't write 18-page emails. I won't be able to read them. And I'm just going to go with this flow for however many shows it takes. I've got a list of questions that all apply to this from Minimum Dignity Floor, Fun Number, and I have this first article that I think will get the juices flowing because you read some of this and you're going to sit there and listen to this well-worded disagreement between Fow and Roth and think neither one of these guys are approaching what retirees are saying is, is a big problem. So here's the article that someone, and i got to thank him, he sent it way back in March, March of, of 23, so March of this year, and I just randomly came across it as I started searching old emails. And he begins, he doesn't give a hint of a state or anything like that, that's not a problem. Oh, he did give a, a hint. He says he lives in the state that's first in flight. He didn't give the answer, but I think uh, that's North Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. North Carolina, okay. I was ready to say North Dakota, you're right, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Um, says, I enjoy yours and Chris's bantering twice a week. I'm learning a lot that I have not known ever before regarding Social Security and IRAs. We, my wife and I, have a cash hoarding problem similar to this article. And then he sent me just the article. He didn't give me a link to it. He must have copied it and pasted it. And I don't have the title of the article either, so I, I can't mm. give it to you. It just came from Bloomberg. And it's, okay, I was going to say, do we at least know where it came from? Yeah, Bloomberg. Okay. Um, so it's just stamped Bloomberg. And it begins. Okay, folks, this is just to get our creative juices flowing and over the next two, three, four podcasts, a dialogue with our listeners on all of this and your thoughts. There is a time in everyone's life to save. There is also a time when you're supposed to spend. That time is commonly known as retirement. Million, uh, millions of Americans aren't doing that, however, which has put the U.S. in a perverse situation. 
Younger generations aren't saving enough as their income slips further behind. And older Americans sit atop unprecedented piles of assets built through stock market and real estate booms. Yet these retirees are at or at least the affluent ones, and they never define affluent in the article. And I don't want our listeners to think affluent means you have to have 5, 8, 10, 12 million. I disagree. Again, we have that client that I'm referring to who has hundreds of thousands and Social Security and is living happy knowing the risks that they face, which might be different from the risks of people with three, four, or $5 million. We concede that. You all have different risks. So he says, yet these retirees, or at least the affluent ones, aren't spending. It turns out they're afraid of the unknown. That's the beginning of the article, Chris. And I think that captures the essence of what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. This whole discussion between Fow and Roth, and they're not here to, to explain how they truly would help their clients overcome this. And I think they're, I'm using them as an example of the industry. The industry, the re, financial planning industry still fixates on getting people to establish a safe withdrawal rate. And as Chris pointed out, what the hell is that anymore? Is it 4? Is it 1.9? Is it 2.7? Is it 4.7? These are all legitimate safe withdrawal rates that I have heard just in recent memory of articles I've read of these different amounts. Is limiting what you spend early in retirement with this notion that the 90-year-old you needs the same damn amount as the 60-year-old you on fun? That's asinine. Maybe for minimum dignity floor and the inflation pressures on food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care, that's not asinine. And yes, the 90-year-old you is going to need to cover that. That's the explicit promise that the younger you, in this hypothetical example in my head, I'm using a 60-year-old you, that's the explicit promise the 60-year-old you has to make the 90-year-old you. But the 90-year-old you is sitting there saying, yo, I don't need all that money on fun. My dad's 89. I told you already, he lives now in assisted living. He went from a retirement community to assisted living. He doesn't do much at all. He's 89. Does he need at 89 the same fun budget he could have used when he retired? I think he retired at 65. Is he either 62 or 65? No, not at all. And that's my point. And I think that's the point that this article is making. So it continues, Chris, unless you have anything you want to add. Um, all I'll mention is I, the, the intro does bring up kind of an interesting phenomenon, which would be the topic for a completely different show, which is the generations, the younger generations not having saved enough and not accumulating enough. The big transfer of wealth that's happening is these older generations that have amassed all these assets end up handing them down do kind of balance each other out. It'll be interesting to see and observe if I live long enough <laughs> to, to see how that all plays out. Because, uh, you know, there, there is kind of a, re, a rebalancing uh, effectively uh, happening there. But that's a, that just sparked my interest when you said that, but not 
germane to today's conversation. Okay. So I continue with this. And I'm going to try to add a little bit of, clear, at least in my opinion, input on why I think what this gentleman who runs a software company is pointing out. And I've never heard of this uh, software company. A new study finds many U.S. retirees keep saving even after they've retired. I'm not quite sure if that's a wise way of putting it. I think they restrict their spending. Mm -hmm. So they still accumulate. So they still Mm -hmm. accumulate. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're consciously, at least I have never met a retiree who has ever said to you, Chris, because we always ask pre-retirees, what's their saving strategy so we can program it into our software? But at retirement, people don't say, and Chris, I want to continue saving 2% of my income or 3% of my income. They just don't do that. So I don't think this sentence is correct. They're not saving. They're just not spending as much as they should, so their assets keep growing. Yet a new study finds many U.S. retirees keep saving even after they retire. The average American, and here we get into trouble using average American when the article references affluent. So you got to look twice at this. There's a little bopping back and forth like a ping pong here. Are we talking affluent? Are we talking average Americans? I don't think the average American with not much in retirement, quote unquote, uh, assets are saving anything. They also may be saving in the sense they're not spending a lot because they're afraid to. Affluent people are the only people, in my opinion, who might be able to consciously say, hey, I'm going to put aside X percent of my RMDs, X percent of my Social Security, X percent of my consulting income every year in case I need it. Anyways, I digress. The average American over the age of 60 cuts spending 2.5% per year or about 20% over a 10-year period, according to an analysis from the University of Michigan. Um, Using data by financial planning software company, United Income. Have you ever heard of United Income? No, I haven't. Neither have I. I'll look them up and see who's behind that. Okay. As a result, millions of Americans are living too frugally, says Matt Fellows, United Income's CEO. On average, and adjusting for inflation, retirees are entering their 80s richer than they were in their 60s and 70s. I want to pause there, listeners, because this paragraph encapsulates what I have seen anecdotally. And part of the reason I wanted to come up with the fun number approach to retirement planning. And also, again, to give shout out to Chris, part of what he shared with me a long time ago when he first started working to me, why he he didn't come on board um, not seeing eye to eye with Monte Carlo probability statistics. He had no idea how I did retirement planning at the time. But I remember chatting with him and him sharing that one of the things he didn't like about it is by time someone realizes they could spend more on fun, it might be too late. That he agrees it unnecessarily constrains spending early in retirement. What I think this software company is finding isn't that older Retire, or retirees in general, newer retirees especially, 
are actually saving. No one has ever, at least to my knowledge, told us to specifically program in a saving strategy where they're going to save a certain amount of their retirement income. No one has ever done that. I think what it's showing is that people aren't spending as much as they could. And I think the industry is to blame. Not Wade, not Allen. They're not the industry. They're just taking different approaches to what the industry is causing. Well, the industry, as you know, over the decades has marketed itself on fear meaning you, you need to hire us, you need to pay us to help you with your finances because all this bad stuff could happen to you if, it doesn't, if you don't do that. The entire investment management, wealth management, financial advice industry, I know there's individual exceptions here or there, but as a group, I think it's fair to say it's built on promoting the idea that you're better off, you can avoid things that you should be fearful of if you seek our advice. And that's exactly where I was going with this. You have to be in my mind if you knew Ben Franklin and what I was thinking and and that. That's exactly correct, Chris. The industry, the financial services industry, uses fear to get people, maybe not you guys listening to this podcast, because you're all do-it-yourselfers. It's everyone else. It's your neighbors. It's your family. It's your friends who aren't geeking out on this like you. It's all those people when you go out to dinner or go to family events who run when you start talking about all this crap. They're not into this. And they're the ones who are being swayed by fear. We're not downplaying the risk of outliving your money at all. But we don't feel for many people, not all, but a subset, the, what the, industry, the article called, quote-unquote, affluent. I'm talking about people who have amassed some wealth and aren't living on just Social Security, like that woman I bought strawberries for 30-plus years ago that launched my career and, and everything that I've become since then. Not her. She had made some mistakes. But for many people listening to this, The industry tries to use fear on you to unnecessarily curtail your retirement spending. I think what this gentleman's software is finding, and I've never even heard of this company. I'm guessing it might have something to do with with the the 401k market, with behind-the-scenes software, maybe for TPAs or something. I have no idea. I'm just guessing. But Chris can see who the company is. But my thoughts are what they're seeing isn't people saving, it's people not spending enough. And what Chris pointed out, by time you find out, you could have spent more. And that's what the guy in the article is saying. He's saying adjusted for inflation, retirees are entering their 80s richer than they were in their 60s. Adjusted for inflation. They're quote unquote richer. Chris always points out, under a safe withdrawal rate Monte Carlo analysis, you have to make sure that um, sequence of return risk is not going to be an issue. By the time you realize that, your go-go phase has passed you by. And what good is it to be told in your early 80s, more likely than not it's going to be mid-70s, but this gentleman said 80, Mm -hmm. 
What good is it to be told at 80 or 78 or 75 or even 73? God, you could have spent more at 60 or 63 or 65. What good is it then, Chris? Yeah, because you can't. At this point, you don't have the capacity in your active life, we'll call it, your go-go phase, to make up for that lost time. It's not like you can... I mean, there's only so much people generally want to do in that area, can do, that costs money. And, and unless you have an expensive hobby or you travel, large amounts of dollars for, quote, fun are usually not going to happen. So there's these enriching experiences that you could have created for yourself, whatever your thing is, right? And everybody has different interests. Whatever your thing is, it's not like... You know, I, I joke if we had immortality, giving up a few years to then make up for it later wouldn't matter. We wouldn't care because we're not worried about declining or being unable to do something. Uh, time is irrelevant when you're immortal. We're all mortal, and it's not a straight line. It's a, a decline. It's not just a certain number of years where there's a trade-off. It's quality years. The quality of the, the years where you can do things, the, the type of year you would have as a 65-year-old is different than the type of year you would have as an 80-year-old. They're both a year in length, but the retirement quality, and this is, I, we've never talked about it in these terms, but that it just, you know, that's what my mind is telling me is that the quality, the usefulness of that year is different. Perfect. I like how you put that. I'm going to, in an effort to be uh, pithy, which this certainly isn't, but this is just the intro of what is going to be a really unique, as I said, EDU series, or hopefully a dialogue with everybody. I'm going to skip over a couple of paragraphs and jump to what Mr. Fells... Did you find out who United Income is yet? Yeah, it was a startup back in 2016 that in 2019 sold out to Capital One, but they did some research studies and, and found kind of what we're what they're talking about here in this article, but it's... Uh, as uh, far as I can tell, part of Capital One now. So this article is old. That, that might be why he copied and pasted it. I have no timestamp on this. And for the gentleman who sent it to me, you know who you are. Um, if you know when this article came out, irrespective of if it came out in 2016, 17, 18, or, well, it couldn't have because he does reference uh, a study right up to 2012. So um, again, uh, he must be referencing from his software, but he, he does talk about 2012. So I know the article came out at least after 2012. But he goes on to say, uh, this is the gentleman who founded the company, or at least was the CEO. I don't know if he found it. And this is a direct quote from the article. And, and again, I skipped a few paragraphs, folks, but they didn't have anything of importance in them. We, quote, we have to get people comfortable with enjoying their retirement and spending their money. Mr. Fellows said, all of a sudden, they're not getting a regular paycheck and that makes them scared to spend. That is brilliant. And it's what I have seen anecdotally for years. I just didn't start a software company over it. I knew it by working in the industry. I didn't learn it by analyzing data from a software company I established. I saw people getting ill, people unfortunately dying, people getting diagnosis. It's usually always medically driven. If not medically driven with them, medically driven with a spouse, sadly, a few cases, children, or parents who needed care and they 
were becoming caregivers and couldn't do quite as much. I've seen any number of reasons why people could not enjoy their what we call the go-go years, but we borrowed again from another gentleman that term. And it saddens me because we all know how this is going to end. We die, folks, okay? You're going to wake up one day and you're going to be dead. <laughs> and he's going to piss you off if you didn't spend your money on fun when that happens. And I just sensed that years ago. I don't think the industry, whether you are, and this is all an art, it's not a science. I'm not saying mine is the only approach, but it's just the way I rationally look at things. But the industry, whether you adopt the Wade approach or the Allen approach or the Geithner or Guyton approach or whoever else is out there, there's other people beyond those three talking heads who have their own approaches to retirement planning as well. All of them revolve around trying to tell you how much you can spend on fun, excuse me, on all your expenses each year that you have to contort like some sick twister game. You have to contort your life into this budget that you can't spend more than this amount every year where you would have became that client of mine who is going to wait three years to buy a teardrop camper. And I got them to buy that teardrop camper less than a handful of months after that discussion. You all know that story. I don't need to get into it. And it started me thinking that I'm on to something here. I've got to explain this better to people. You can spend on fun. If you stop with this one big-ass portfolio with no understanding of what it's supposed to do and instead just trying to manipulate it with either a bond ladder or stocks and individual bonds or bond mutual funds, as Wade is saying, and a couple of fixed indexed annuities now, apparently, and that somehow that's going to be beautiful, but you're still limiting yourself during the only fun phase you're going to have. My dad's still having fun, as he jokingly would tell you right now. It's fun just waking. He ain't waking up dead, Chris. He's waking up alive every day, and that's fun for him. He's, he's 89. He, he lives in assisted living. He knows his days of going around and doing things are not there anymore. But he has turned what he has into fun. Bingo, watching football now. He's so ecstatic that football, even though it's preseason, he's as happy as a pig and you know what, that football's going. My point is, my dad doesn't need as much money at 89 as he needed when he first retired on fun. Who are we as an industry to tell you you can't spend your assets? On fun. I feel the industry, the cynic in me, purposefully does this. It's not out of ignorance. Because true planning is not scalable. It's, why do you think Chris and I have not accepted new retirement planning clients for over 15 months? We can't handle it. It's not scalable. We had so many people waiting for our service and so many people we service and a desire not to just run out and willy-nilly hire people because you got all these things of running a business, cash flow, this, that, and the other thing. It's not fun doing what I do anymore. It's much more fun for me meeting with clients. Anyways, the point is there's a reason we 
couldn't bring on a bunch of people. We didn't have the capacity to do it. It's not easy. If we were more scalable, if we were a AUM type advisor with a 4% withdrawal or whatever he and I declared was our opinion of the safe withdrawal rate, and we were running a Monte Carlo probability statistic, and we were blanking out retirement plans in an hour, which is what the two or now three biggest software providers in our industry tout how quickly they can push out a retirement analysis. Chris, would we have had this moratorium? No. We could take as many people as interested in talking to us because we could just crank them through the little machine. Absolutely. The cynic in me is saying, that's why my industry does this. Because it lends itself to the AUM model. It keeps your portfolio this one big portfolio where everything is hidden in there, including their fee. What the hell is their 1% or eight tenths of a percent or one and a quarter percent, whatever you're being charged. What's that going for? What are you paying for? They don't even itemize it. What are you getting? Who knows? I don't. But it's purposefully done. If you're too scared to spend money, and you're limiting yourself to a safe withdrawal rate, it lends itself to Monte Carlo probability real easy at that point. And asset management is easy when you got one big portfolio. Well, and it tends to keep, you know, protect to the size of the portfolios, which when the compensation now, is tied to that. Now, that's really cynic. You're going, okay, that, yeah. and he's right. He's right. I didn't go there, but he's 100% right. And I said it many times on this show as well. It keeps you from spending your money and dropping their income. That is a huge conflict of interest all these AUM guys have, especially the quote-unquote fee-only ones, which I am, so don't send me nasty emails if you're in the industry. We are quote-unquote fee-only, but we don't run on that. But many people do. And... It is a conflict. We cap our fee on asset management. You all know that. And we separate our fee. You don't have to hire us for asset management. You can hire us for just retirement planning. And that's what we do. I've never, ever, ever required people to, oh, you got to bring all your money over to me and I'm going to charge you 1% on that. And here's your, your financial plan that I generated from one of these big three software companies in my industry. Took me a whole hour to do it, by the way. And here you go. That's what the industry is all about. And yes, Chris is right. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps some of it is, wow, I don't want them taking this money out. If they were to spend 800000 over the first five years of their retirement, my income could drop 8000 a year over that period of time forever. Ooh. And I'm not saying they're going to do that. But a lot of these people who advertise fee only, they vilify the commission guys. And I'm not a commission person, but they vilify them by saying, oh, they have this incentive to sell you this product because they're going to get a commission. Well, to me, an uncapped AUM model, you also are have a conflict. And that is perhaps, just perhaps, your advice may be biased into keeping people from spending because it lowers your income. But also, perhaps you are biased into doing a safe withdrawal rate probability statistic 
type of retirement plan because it makes your life easier and you can scale it. It's scalable. AUM is tremendously scalable. That's why the industry is fighting tooth and nail not to get rid of it because they're all going to put you in software programs that do all the heavy lifting now. It is not hard for us to trade. When Jake, Jacob does the trades in the office, I don't anymore. When I tell Jacob to do this rebalance or do this trade or sell this and buy that, he has it done, folks, in seconds. I kid you not. When I was where he was, when I was starting my career and was only two or three years into it, a rebalance could take me an hour or two. Trades, usually about 20 or 30 minutes. They were done with fax machine when I was doing this, folks. So software has made asset management so profitable for the industry and so scalable. Well, they need a retirement planning approach that is as equally as scalable to keep pace with how scalable AUM is. And perhaps the safe withdrawal rate Monte Carlo probability statistic is one way of doing that. Now, Wade and Allen are not necessarily advocating that, especially Allen. A laddered tips ladder is not easy to do. And most software programs can handle that. Now, there's a couple of which he references a few, and we'll talk about them on the show. Number Cruncher has one, and um, tipsladder.com if you want to check those places out. And as far as I know, Alan charges a, an hourly fee. Yes, he's an so hourly he advisor. he doesn't have that conflict of, you know, you, you want to spend your own money? That, that has no effect on his compensation. So he's, you know, used, he uses a compensation model that a isn't susceptible to that particular conflict. Because he acknowledges everything you and I are saying, that the industry mm-hmm. is like that. Yep. Now, he has chosen an hourly fee approach, and it works for him immensely. But the industry doesn't all look like Alan or Chris and I. And they love the one big portfolio safe withdrawal rate approach. But then you have this Bloomberg article from this gentleman who's pointing out people aren't spending enough. Okay, so I continue. Researchers looked at all the logical reasons why retirees might be so tight-fisted, including the desire to leave an inheritance or worries about future medical needs. The big motivator turned out to be some version of fear they will run out of money too early. I don't know who's putting that fear in them, but the fear is there. I say that with a little bit of jest. Okay, then he gets into a little bit of money about how much is going to be transferred at the death of everyone. So he continues, or the article continues. The idea instead is training people to spend. And I skipped a lot of the article, but now I'm getting back into the meat and potatoes here. The idea is training people to spend. Again, I didn't have to start a software company and look at the data to figure this out. Now, this man, very successful, started a software company and has the data. I have anecdotal. I can only look at my practice and what I've seen over 25 years of doing this. He has data from far more people, far more uh, assessments, and he's starting to see, wow, There's something going on here. People aren't spending. It's the industry, though. It's not 
people voluntarily entering retirement scared, entering retirement trying to quote-unquote save. They're not saving. They're just not spending enough because the industry keeps them in the dark. They're going to keep them in one big portfolio, make it purposefully, in my humble opinion, complex. So people are like, holy crap, I can't do this myself. I need to pay this guy one, one and a quarter, one and a half, one and an eighth, whatever it is, or seven tenths, eight tenths, nine tenths. Everybody is at different prices now. But I got to pay these people tens of thousands of dollars a year to manage my one, two, three million dollar portfolio. And that's what you will be paying tens of thousands of dollars a year. It's so complex. I've got to pay them to do it. And what are they going to do? Seriously. They're going to plug your stuff into eMoney, Money Guide, or Right Capital. They're going to generate a probability statistic Monte Carlo printout. They're going to come up with what their opinion of a safe withdrawal rate is and hopefully at least explain to you why that's their safe withdrawal rate. And they're going to limit you to that spending. In my opinion, it's because it's scalable Yes, there's going to be some people who do it to protect their AUM. I, I, I will concede that. But it's scalable. It supports the industry, and it's incredibly profitable. And yes, maybe that's a little bit of the cynic in me talking, but that's truly how I feel. Because this gentleman is saying, hey, we're looking at our software. We're realizing people are dying with too much. Chris, who, who started saying that to me over 12 years ago? Well, I mentioned it. That's you. Yes, that was a handoff <laughs> to you. I mentioned it. And because, uh, you know, it's still going to happen a lot because you can't, I mean, you've got to have just in case money. You've got to have money that you can't spend on fun. Uh, you're, you're not going to be able to time this out so that you hit zero balance with everything at a certain point because you, you can't predict when that last day is going to be. So there's... Uh, you know, buffers, we call them, or reserves that hopefully you never have to deploy because the buffers and reserves are really meant for things when they, they don't go so right. They don't go as predicted or hoped for. And and that money, um, you know, if, if, if the bad thing that is meant to protect doesn't happen, then that money is going to be left over. But you, you want to have a kind of a controlled, uh, constrained amount of that that doesn't get out of control and is way too big which is what leads you to unnaturally or unnecessarily constraining your own fund spending. There's, there's, I guess our, our approach is a seek for more balance. So seek for a reasonable way to protect those things you should be worried about happening that we don't know the uncertainties that, that are kind of inherent in a retirement plan situation. Um, and, and then, you know, be more comfortable with, with spending what's identified as the rest, what we call the fund number. Um, and so I, I think we're giving you some insight as to why we really believe in this this particular approach uh, that we've got. You know, there's lots of different ways you can slice this up and, and approach this. But, um, you know, we've done our best to come up with a method that addresses these real concerns that we have, the things that bothered us about standard or traditional retirement planning. We proposed and have developed ways to to av- avoid some of those what what we see as mistakes or, you know, potential for um, an unfavorable outcome and unfavorable, not just you ran out necessarily, but unfavorable that you didn't 
enjoy those assets that you were able to amass over time as much as you could have. I didn't listen to 98% of what you said after the word balance. You said the word balance in there, and I fixated on it. And I'm joking. I listened to everything you said. But as soon as you said balance, I wrote it down. Because Chris is right. And it's verbalizing the visual that I often share with everyone of what retirement planning is. And the industry misses the boat right right misses the boat mm-hmm. oh, no the ball you miss a ball no you missed the boat the boat sailed without you you missed the boat, missed the boat. you dropped the ball but could it the saying be i missed the ball i don't whatever i you don't could. care you can start your own sayings at any time i'm just saying well i already you know, have standard, if you listen right. to the podcast i have some wonderful sayings <laughs> we beat this horse to death right. it's like pulling teeth from a baby mm-hmm. you woke up dead one day mm-hmm. i mean Apparently, I ha- I'm going to do a whole book mm-hmm. on my... Well, that can be a retirement plan for you. That's your <laughs> income stream in retirement is your... Yeah. Anyway. We'll start... My so mother... You, if there's other you know, chunks of the, that article you want to get out... Yeah, I do. That, that's show, where I'm... You should probably proceed because yes, we're getting a little because we're getting there. long. Mm-hmm. And th- that's, that's where I was going with this. The, I'm just going to read a few of the ending because it's, it's really nice. But the balance. When I read the rest of this, folks, balance. Chris was right. Picture... A seesaw on that metal bar. Retirement planning is that metal bar. On one side, the older you. The other side, the younger you. The idea of retirement planning is to balance. Not perfectly, because some people will voluntarily want to let the younger them a little higher on that seesaw, causing the older them to go a little bit lower. Other people may reverse it, make the older them a little bit higher by giving them more money and by default, less money for them at fun. But in a perfect world, we want to balance that. That's retirement planning right there. That's the balance. The safe withdrawal rate, I think, causes the younger you to go down and sometimes go down quite a bit in an effort to help the older you through fear by saying you can't spend on fun. You can't spend more than this amount of money, even if it's on fun, even if we acknowledge you're going to die someday and it could be tomorrow. It could be in 30 years, but at some point in time, even if you're not dead, your health, ability, desire, to spend inclination, I usually put those in a different order, health, inclination, desire, and ability is how I word it, to spend on fun, not acknowledging the three phases of fun, go, go, slow, go, no, go. Listen to this, how the article wraps up, and keep that visual in mind, folks. Because to me, the safe withdrawal rate is causing the older you to go up and the younger you to go down. The cynic in us is saying it's because it's far more profitable because it's scalable and under an uncapped AUM generates a hell of a lot of income. Okay, listen to this as this gentleman wraps it up. The idea is training people to spend. What can get rich elderly Americans to spend more? And I don't like that word rich because of that one client we talked about. He's not rich. What can help? retirees is how it should be spend more 
One way, ready for this, Chris? One way is to reassure them they're not going to run out of cash. Perhaps using tools such as bond ladders or annuities. Hmm. Hey, Alan and Wade, there it is. Right there. It's not who's right. You're both right because you're both brilliant. I think it's up to the client to decide. And that's what Risa, the, the new thing Wade's come out with, is attempting to do. So I'll give him a shout out on retirement income style awareness. For those of you who are trying to wonder, should you use an annuity? Should you use a bond ladder? Should you use a safe withdrawal rate? He has a tool that's going to help you figure that out. Uh, I don't, we don't use the tool at the firm because we believe passionately in our approach, but I'll give him a shout out there on that. You ready to, for me to keep reading because I know you want me to hurry up on this. Tools such as bond ladders and annuities can turn a retirement account into a stream of income. Mimicking, you ready for this, Chris? A paycheck. Hmm. Where have you heard that before? No idea. This is brand new. Gee, I, I wish I thought of this. Where have I been for 25 years? Now, if they would have said turning it into essentially a bottomless cup of coffee, I'd have sued them. But anyways, <laughs> that's another thing. Insurance products can also protect re- re- retirees against a huge laden life expense from a medical care dominant fear. Mm-hmm. And what they mean by that is such as longevity insurance. An annuity that kicks in if you live to 80 or 85. Well, or LTC, what I heard it mean was, you know, a big you, medical expense later you, on, which I think You didn't let me LTC. keep reading. Okay, or other options, <laughs> long-term care insurance or reverse mortgages. Everything that we talk about here that the industry kind of hates. Now, do they hate it because they're going to cost you money from their AUM? Hmm. I don't know. Do they hate it because it's a hell of a lot more work to program into their software that can push out a retirement analysis in an hour or two? I don't know. The problem to this, he continues, requires more creative solutions. Financial planners need to help retirees realize they have a cognitive bias that makes them too gloomy about the future. No, 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 no. The retirement industry has the bias that makes people too gloomy about the future, I believe. But And I think that you don't have to necessarily um, undermine people's gloominess. I think they're rightfully fearful of certain things. It's really a matter of adequately addressing those concerns to reduce their fear so that they can feel more in control of their situation and feel more confident in spending what's identified as what is what's available to to feel good about doing that and not have this fear of these things which should be feared the running out of money having a medical emergency you know these types of things are things to be afraid of happening but you can't let that you know drive every decision when they can be addressed one way or another, whether it's our approach or another. I would encourage people to address those things to get them to a comfort level, which reduces that fear so that they can you know, look at the broader scope of their situation um, a little more um, logically and, and uh, less emotionally. Okay, and then I'll just wrap up with this because it's kind of eye-opening again. The article continues. It's no longer quoting the, the I'll, I'll say quote when, when the, the software guy is saying something. So the reporter continues. After a lifetime of savings, it requires psychological gymnastics to start spending your nest egg. 
I have said that many a times, folks. I put it differently. I said, when you retire, it's going to freak you out. The whole idea, the fun number is to help you feel comfortable spending your money, not restrict you. Browning, the gentleman who owns a software company, has a suggestion. He says financial planners should urge their clients to make big purchases like a second home or a fancy new car before they retire. The idea, he said, quote, is to train people to spend, end quote. Now, I kind of disagree with that. We're not going to get into deeply why. Because of taxes, I mean, really? I mean, to me, it's not training you to spend. I can't teach an old trick to new dog. Uh, Jesus, old dog, new tricks. Almost screwed that one up. I can't do that. But what we can do is to get your mind to understand out of your half a million or a million or two million or four million or eight million, whatever you saved, some of those dollars can be earmarked for fun. They can be spent early and you don't need to unnecessarily curtail that spending and here's why. You've seen through your portfolio. You've come up with your fun number. That's where I want to end. And I want to begin next week by addressing some of these old fun number questions we have, Chris. Minimum dignity floor questions. The funding of secure income. Bond ladders. Annuities. The Allen and Wade approach. But it's... Allen and Wade approach to me still isn't the answer, but we have these types of questions. What I want you guys to share with me is, what are you all thinking? Y'all are do-it-yourselfers. You're all planning your own retirement. You're doing your own calculations. How are you approaching it? You looking similar to what we do with fun number? Not everybody agrees with our approach. You might be listening to the show not for this fun number stuff, but for the other information we give on Social Security and IRAs and distributions. I don't know. But what are you all doing with yourselves? What do you all do? What's your approach? What are your thoughts of the industry of the quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate and um, AUM strategy? What's your thoughts on, on hiring people to manage your assets with AUM? Or, or should it be different approaches? How do you view working with financial planners? How are you approaching your retirement? Chris and I are going to read some of these opinions. We're going, not all of them. I probably will get more than I'll be able to read over this series of shows. We might do this one more week. We might do this six more weeks. I have no idea where we're going to go with this. Literally, I don't. I do have some email questions I want to get to, but I want this general tenor not to become a dogmatic, he said, she said, between annuities and and bond ladders, but broader. What do you think about retirement and how are you approaching it? What are your thoughts? And you can rip us a new one if you want on our fun number approach. We're okay. We're big boys. We can handle it. Why you may not agree with it. Why you think we're missing the boat on that. See, I got that one right. No, I didn't. It's missing the ball. Damn it. No, you got it. I did get it? Oh. You got more confidence in yourself. (laughs) Apparently. Wow. (laughs) Nailed it, folks. Nailed it. 
So I, I want this to kind of be a retirement planning dialogue. And if you're an advisor and you agree with us or disagree with us, share us. Be cordial if you disagree with us. We're going to try to share a lot of people's opinions and turn this into a dialogue discussion back and forth for as many weeks as Chris and I feel like doing it. Okay, perfect. So they should, uh, if you have these this type of input, send it directly to Jim. Please put mm-hmm. in your subject line so I can separate a Q&A from this, um, what should we call it, dialogue? Sure. That's a word people wouldn't usually use in there. So yeah, true. Podcast dialogue, something like that. Yeah. Put that in the subject line so I'll know, hey, this is something that I kind of want to add my two cents to this dialogue over this series of podcasts we're going to be having, open discussion. And again, I encourage industry people to write. Uh, do-it-yourselfers, who I know most of you are do-it-yourselfers. I don't think many industry people listen to me. But um, podcast listeners by by all uh, approaches and whether you agree or disagree and I'll try to read as many as I can we're not going to be able to I don't think read them all because there's a lot Chris and I want to share uh, especially Chris because he's so freaking opinionated if you couldn't tell by now and uh, we may want to get to all of those and all these questions that I have pre-printed out on annuities bond ladders and um, uh, fund number yep so to Email those. You want to email them directly to Jim, jim at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And uh, subject line, podcast dialogue, word dialogue, something like that. I think we'll we'll get, uh, when he does his little search in his inbox, he'll find those if you've done that. And uh, yeah, this should be an interesting discussion. I'm, I'm excited to hear what people have to share. But we appreciate you sticking through this. Uh, this is another, we'll call it an extended EDU show. Anything approaching an hour and a half is extended. <laughs> so, but with this, this is a good starter. And then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. So thanks for bringing an interesting topic to the EDU show. I think this will be a, this will be a good one. Yeah. I, like I told you today, mm-hmm. I know what I want to say. I just don't know how to say it. I think this hour and a half kind of covered what we want to do. And I'm intrigued too. I, I'm anxious. There's a lot I want to talk about if you haven't noticed. I know Chris does most of the talking folks. I'll try to get a word in edgewise, but there's a lot that I want to bring to people's. Uh, Great. Well, excited to hear or see everyone's responses and we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show with those responses. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier and Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970 530 0556.
The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 